We welcome you to message number four in our series, Life Coach. We're learning these timeless truths from a trusted mentor. That mentor is the Apostle Paul. Now, before we get into maybe the heart of what we want to talk about this morning, ladies and gentlemen, this is a moment for celebration. Are you feeling me, Warriors fans? Would you take note of the picture? Undeniable. We're talking 17 and, uh, 73 and 9, the greatest record in the NBA taking place in your very backyard. Yes. Now, I am showing you a picture right now, of course, the NBA MVP, Steph Curry. But really, what I want to point out to you is something absolutely amazing because right in the center of the picture, in the midst of all the media and Steph, is our very own Chase Carter, ladies and gentlemen, right here. Chase, come on up here. Randy and Meredith's son, Chase Carter. We've not, now, this is the deal. Chase Carter is Steph Curry's personal security guard. He is also on our security team. Come here, Chase, a little bit. This guy is, this is the deal. There would be no Steph Curry without Chase Carter. This, this, what we need to understand is this, you know, all these records, I mean, Steph hit 402 threes, which is, you know, a record beyond comprehension. Those threes would not happen without Chase Carter. You see, now, Chase also is our security guy here at Three Crosses, so in a sense, we are the church that is totally behind Steph Curry. I mean, Really? When it comes to it, you know, Steph Curry would probably not have the career he has today without three crosses and Chase Carter. Give it up for Chase, baby. Thanks, buddy. You're the man. Here it is, right here in print. All right. Steph, if you happen to be watching this online, dude, you're firing us up. We love you and love the Warriors. You guys are playing for Jesus. These guys love the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is an awesome thing to just watch them play. Let me ask you a question. When the Warriors hit a three, what is the sign that everyone gives on the Warriors? They just hit a three. Right here, right here. Okay, or that. They'll put up this three, okay, and it's an amazing thing. This morning, this is what we want to do. All of this was to lead into, Paul gives us this, the Apostle Paul. There are three pieces of advice this morning that we, see a pastor can turn anything into a sermonic, you know, kind of moment. And so there's three, I want you to do this at your table right now. Three things we're going to talk about this morning. Three pieces of advice that we want to look at. I don't know. I wonder what the most uh, profound piece of advice is that you've ever received. Well, the whole book of 2 Timothy is Paul's advice, his mentoring advice to Timothy and to us by way of extension. And this morning, there's three things that Paul wants to pass on to us. And these three things are this. Keep, guard, and know. Can we say that together? Keep, guard, and know. 
there's something we need to keep, there's something we need to guard, there's something we need to know. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life, what's going on in your marriage, what's going on in your family, what's going on in your relationships, what's going on at work, your finances, your health. But watch this, there's three things, these three things that will help you immensely, that will encourage you immensely. And this is what Paul's passing on to us. He's in a Roman jail cell. He's soon to be executed. And every word he writes is precious. And he passes on to us these three areas of advice. Let's read about it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Something we are to keep, guard, and know. Let's start with what we need to keep, and I'm going to put it in the form of a principle. We need to keep the Bible as the pattern for sound speaking or teaching. Now watch this. One of the things that we all have in common this morning is we all like to talk. We all converse. Every day we talk to our spouse and kids and workers and co-workers and friends. And, and, and some of us, we talk more than others. The average man speaks 7,000 words a day. The average woman, 20,000 words a day. Three times as much as a man. That's not neither right nor wrong. That's just a fact, okay? And all of us guys go, yep, I can attest to that fact. Now think about it. When we talk, when we converse, we're given commands and we're given, uh, you know, guidelines and directives all the time. And here's the thing. We get into a lot of trouble when we start rambling, start talking, and our words, watch this, are not tethered to the Word of God. All of us have stories in our lives where we've said things we now regret, right? Three things you never want to say to a cop that have actually been said to a cop. Sorry, officer, I didn't realize that my radar detector wasn't plugged in. You're not going to check the trunk, are you, officer? Bad cop, no donut. Now listen to the advice Paul gives to Timothy and to us here in verse 13. He says, what you heard from me, Timothy, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Timothy, what you heard from me, you know, my teaching, my words. I mean, we've been together in ministry all these years. I'm in jail, but we traveled together previous to that. Let my words be the pattern, the model, the standard, the parameter of your teaching, your words, your speaking. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we had the Apostle Paul's words, like, written down for us to model our words after we do. We have 13 Pauline epistles in the Bible. The principle here is this. God's word 
needs to be the pattern. The standard for all of our speaking, all of our teaching, all our instructing, all of our conversations. Another way of saying it is this. We need to pattern our speaking, our teaching, our talking according to the Bible. Wow. I have right here a pattern. This is a pattern of a coat that uh, I received. And uh, I have never used one of these before. As a matter of fact, this is the first time I'm opening it up. I have no idea what it's even going to look like. But it is a pattern for a coat. And I can see all, and I'm sure if you laid this out, and some of you know exactly what this is, it's going to show you exactly how a coat could be made. Watch this. Our words need to fit within a biblical pattern. This is the call of Paul for Timothy. You, you think about it. We speak all the time. Think about this last week and how when our words went outside the pattern, the problems that that brought us in our marriages, in our families, at work, with certain individuals. I mean, this is advice Paul is passing on to Timothy as his mentor, his life coach. He's saying, Timothy, your words need to fit within a biblical pattern. Now you say, what does that mean? It means a couple things. First of all, it means that the content of our words needs to fit in a biblical pattern or mold or standard. There in verse 13, Paul says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. In other words, the words I use are to be fitting, corresponding to the pattern that's found in God's word, the content of those words. Let me ask you a question. This is an interesting question. Could the words I use, say this last week, fit into the Bible if, in fact, the Bible were still being written today? Wow. The content of my words should square with, should correspond with the Bible. You know, how can this come about in my life? Well, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach, as you speak, as you admonish one another with all wisdom. You see, if, if junk is in, junk is going to come out. If God's word is in, God's word will come out. But just the content, the words that we use, just let me ask you, do they square with what Jesus would use? This is the advice that Paul is passing on to us. Second, our tone needs to fit into a biblical pattern as well, our mold. You see there in verse 13, Paul says, keep as the pattern of sound teaching or speaking, and then he says, as you speak, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. In other words, when I speak, the tone of my words should be characterized by faith, that is, confidence in God's word and what I'm saying, and also in love. That is, when I speak, the tone should convey love, concern, care for the person I'm speaking to. Paul joins both these together in Ephesians 4.15. I put it on your outline, speaking the truth in love. And here's another powerful verse that really should characterize all of our speaking. This is my, my wife's life verse, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Wow. Imagine if we just lived out that one verse, that in our speaking, our speaking always, the content 
and the attitude, the tone, would fit into a biblical pattern. So no unwholesome word would come out of our mouths, but only what is for building others up, for building your kids up, for building clients up, for building your friends up. The problem becomes, as soon as we start speaking and our words begin to go outside of a biblical pattern, Paul is saying, especially to Timothy as a pastor, Timothy, your words, the tone, the teaching needs to fit within a biblical pattern. As you do that, that is so important for your life. And it's important regardless of who you are, whether you're a pastor, whether you're you know, a plumber, it does not matter. Wow. I want you to talk about this at your tables. Who in your life is a good example of someone who keeps the Bible as their pattern for sound teaching and speaking and conversation? Who is someone that you've looked up and go, wow, the way that they order their tongue is just, that is the pattern of Jesus. And they've been an example to you. Talk about that person. Go for it. All right, we're talking about three things, three things. All Warrior fans, three deals going on right now, okay? Three pieces of advice. There's something we need to keep, and that's as we speak, that our speaking, our tone, the content should square with the Bible. That's huge in our lives if that becomes a priority in a way we live. But then there's something we're called to guard. And we need to guard the Bible with the Holy Spirit's power. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about what is really at the heart of all our problems? All of our problems, I mean socially, politically, economically, morally. All of the problems in life can be traced to one thing that continues to plague humanity, and it's this. We have not guarded the Bible, the teaching of the Bible, with the power of the Holy Spirit. You think about all the problems, murder and war and adultery and racism and rape and hatred and greed and gluttony, sexual immorality, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Why? Why are all these things here going on? Because we have not guarded the Bible with the power of the Holy Spirit in society, in our own lives. Now let me explain this to you. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we have the first time that Satan encounters humanity. And here it says, I put it in your outlines, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, here's the, the first conversation, the first temptation ever. And he said, and he attacks the Bible. He attacks the word of God. The foundation of everything, the foundation of the family, the foundation of society, the foundation of the church, the foundation of every institution that God has created that makes this world safe and healthy and good to live in, Satan attacks. And he says, did God really say, did God's word, in other words, is God's word really true? Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I mean, did you catch the temptation? Is God's word really that important to follow is what, what Satan was saying. And this is the first thing Satan said to man. It's the oldest trick in the book, but it's a trick we keep falling for all the time. And this is the reason for our world's problems today. 
we question God's word and we think we can defy God's word. I don't need to listen to God's word. Did God really say that? I don't think he did or he twisted into something he didn't say. We don't guard God's word. And we think we can break God's word. And when we go out and we break God's word, this is what happens. God's word breaks us. It breaks families. It breaks marriages. Not God's word does. When we disobey God and we think we get away with it, we are not getting away with it. We're bringing destruction on our own lives, on our own society. And it is all because we are not guarding the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all along, you know, you go, God is so gracious and he comes to us and he reminds us about how life works. How marriage and family works. Like Joshua 1 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Just don't let this book depart from your life. Follow it, guard it, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. All of the words of God, you follow this, and guess what? You'll be prosperous and successful. God is saying the key to successful life or family or society is simple. Follow my word. I've created you. I've given you the instruction manual on how life works. All you need to do is follow the word. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God has given to every believer something of incredible value. It's called the Bible. It's called God's word. The Bible is God's revelation of himself and his, his uh, revelation of absolute truth for humanity to follow. This is the deposit that God has given to every believer. And listen to the advice that Paul gives to Timothy and to us. He, he, this is what we are called to guard. Look, look, look if you would. Verse 14, he says, guard the good deposit. The good deposit is the word of God that was entrusted to you, Timothy, and you as well, and me. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the good deposit, the Bible. I mean, think about this good deposit that God has given to us. The Bible is written over a period of 1,500 years. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek originally. Written from three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. God used 40 different authors to compose the Bible, all of them led along by the Holy Spirit to write down originally exactly what God wanted to be written down. But it's one book. It's amazing. One book with no contradictions. Are there mysteries? Oh, yeah. I always tell people, when you question the integrity of the Bible or how amazing this book is, I, I say, get two of the most wisest people in the world, the most intellectual people that the world can come up with, put them in two different rooms, just two. And have them write uh, the history of the world and the meaning of life. And then see if those two things will uh, be unified. And here we have a Bible. One book with 66 you know, books, but one. Written over a period of 1,500 years. And there's this seamless, no contradiction in all of it. It is a flat out miracle. And we are called to guard it. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Wow. 
It's the inerrant, inspired word of God. When we get to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I can't wait to go deeper into that understanding and theology. We'll get there later. But for right now, look at verse 14. Guard the good deposit, the Bible. Now, the good deposit for Timothy, he was called to guard the Old Testament because that's what they had back then, as well as the words that the Apostle Paul that were being handed down to Timothy. The New Testament books that we have today, the 27 uh, that we recognize today, those were not, now they were, compi- they were written by 95 AD, but they were not compiled into a group of 27 until uh, 397 AD where they were publicly recognized at the Council of Carthage. But my point right now is not to give you some history on canonization, but it's simply to underscore and make a point as to what Paul is wanting us to embrace. And it's this, we're called to guard the Bible with the Holy Spirit's power. Guard the good deposit that was handed down to you. You. You see, you, you yourself, you. Pretend like we're in a room right now and just you and me, and I just said, I handed you this Bible. This is your Bible. God calls you to guard it. You are called to guard this as a dad, as a mom, as a husband, as a wife, as a grandparent, as a student, as a young person, as an old person. It does not matter. See, Paul is passing on to us three critical priorities. And he's saying, Timothy, you got to guard this book. Because there is an enemy that wants to take it from you and twist it. Guard it with all of your life as a man, as a woman of God. You know, the message proclaimed by Paul and the apostles and all the other authors of Scripture have been preserved in this Bible. And, is, and it is not to be changed. It is not to be enlarged. It is not to be condensed. It is not to be altered in any single way. Every single word is inspired. Every single word in the Bible is called to be guarded by us. Now, you look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19, and here John gives us this. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away words from the prophecy of this book, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. I mean, that is a warning about tampering with the word of God. Thomas Jefferson loved the teachings of Jesus. In fact, the author of uh, the Declaration of Independence, he called them the most sublime and benevolent code of morals that has ever been offered to man. That was his rendition of how he saw the Bible. But Jefferson, he was also a product of the Enlightenment, and he couldn't stomach the miracles of Jesus. So Thomas Jefferson literally took a pair of scissors, took out a pair of scissors, and he cut out of his King James Bible many portions. It took him three nights. He cut out the virgin birth. He cut out angels. He cut out the resurrection. Jefferson cut out every miracle, and the end product of that book was called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, or what is commonly known as the Jefferson Bible. Now, we hear that. 
And we think that's crazy. There's something within us that says, you can't do that to God's word. His inspired word, you can't pick and choose. You can't cut and paste. But the truth is, while most of us can't imagine taking a pair of scissors to the Bible and physically cutting out verses, I think sometimes we do the exact thing Jefferson did. We ignore or we avoid or we discard certain verses that we don't like. And Paul is saying, Timothy, guard every word. It's so tempting to cut out certain areas of the Bible. I don't understand that. As if we would understand all of God. Well, I just can't accept that. Yeah, because you're a sinner and so am I. All our rationalization, the enemy says to us, did God really say that? Do you think he really meant that? Oh, come on, something must have been lost in that translation. That can't be. That's man's words, not the word of God. Are you kidding me? This is the word of God, every single word, every jot and tittle. And the advice that's being passed on, guard every single word. When we cut out areas of the Bible, we end up suffering. Our marriages, our family, our life, we end up, our society, the church, suffers when we begin to cut out the word of God. But when we guard with the power of the Holy Spirit the entire message of the Bible, that leads to so much blessing. And, and this is what the encouragement is. Look at Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy. Everything here. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart everything that is written in it. Because the time is near. Paul is saying to us, as he is mentoring us, he is our life coach. And he's given us three things. He's saying, guess what? Guard the Bible. All of the Bible in its totality with the power of the Holy Spirit. You do this, Timothy, this is going to go big in your life. It's going to guide you throughout your life. It will protect you. D.L. Moody said, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. It's a powerful statement. It really is. I like you to talk about this. Because the Holy Spirit has a way of teaching us about this importance of guarding the Bible over our lives. We've learned at certain points certain things. And some of you really need to speak up at your tables and talk about this right now. And here's the question. How are you learning to guard the Bible with the Holy Spirit's power? What has God taught you about this? So that you're not a person who's taking out a pair of scissors and cutting out portions. How has God taught you to guard the Bible, all of the Bible, with the Holy Spirit's power? How are you living that out as a Christian? Go ahead and talk about that at your tables. All right, there's something we're learning. Three things Paul is passing on to us. Three things. There's something we need to keep, which is... The Bible, as our pattern for speaking, our content, our tone needs to fit the Bible. Then we need to guard the Bible, not cut and paste. 
Only keep the parts we like. Discard the parts we don't understand or don't like or dislike or think are dated. All the Bible's current. We're called to keep it all. Protect it. Guard it. But then there's something we need to know, and this is the real tender part of it all. Paul moves from kind of the Word of God, which is to totally guide our life and protect our life, and then he moves to the relational side because this is where it's lived out. And we need to know how to be a friend. This is so tender. John Stuart Mill was a British economist, political thinker, and philosopher of science. He died like nearly 150 years ago in 1873. You say, why are you even talking about him? Because he's significant because he was reputed to have been the last person in history to have known everything there was to know of the world at that point in history. I mean, the notion that someone could know everything about the world today is like ludicrous. No way. There's just too much information. Watch this. Paul wanted Timothy to know something of incredible importance. Yes, you are called to keep the Bible and guard the Bible. Let it guard your speech and guide your speech and your standard for living and everything. But guess what? Friendship is so important. Relationships. And Paul wanted to pass on to Timothy something we need to know about friendship. You know, 90% of life is friendship. It really is. Another way of saying it is 90% of life is knowing how to be a friend. If you know how to be a friend, you got 90% of life down. If you don't know how to be a friend, your life will be struggling. You're just going to struggle. I mean, you could be a millionaire, but if you do not know how to be a friend, you're going to be depressed, you're going to be lonely. You can have no money, but if you know how to be a friend, there is joy and peace. I've got friends. Huge. If you're a salesperson, you may not be the most knowledgeable person about the product, but take the most knowledgeable person that knows that product in and out, but they don't know how to be a friend, they're not going to make sales. You can know half of what they know about the product, but you know how to be a friend, you're going to double their sales. Being a friend, knowing how to be a friend is incredibly important. The Bible talks about it, and Paul is like passing on. The, the, Paul is going off the scene. Timothy is coming on. And Paul's just like, Timothy, I want you to understand something you need to know, and it's about being a friend. Because I'll tell you, the key to a successful marriage is being best friends with my wife, Tracy. That's it. That's the bottom line. That's it. The key to having a great relationship with your sons or daughters, yes, you are called to be their parent. No question about it. But it's being best friends with Josh. And, well, he's the only one here right now, but I see my brother over there and my family over there. Key to having a great relationship with my dad is being just friends with him. And that's how it is anywhere in life. You want to be a great employee, a great employer? Yeah, you're called to be the boss. You're called to, you know, be in submission. But you've you got to be a good friend. And we, we know that. But sometimes it's just helpful to hear about that and to know that the Bible talks about it is pretty cool. So in these next four verses we're going to look at, it goes together with this scripture. Initially, I was going to, like, teach it separate. But I thought, no, the reason we're called to guard our, the Bible and our tongue is so that we can have 
good friendships. But good friendships take work and they take a commitment to three things that Paul's going to talk about. And in these four verses, um, which we're going to read in a second, really Paul is talking about his personal experience while he's in jail in Rome, because he's in a prison cell as he's writing this. But he gives us this update. In this update, we see these three characteristics about friendship that emerge that Paul wants Timothy to know. So the first characteristic we need to know about being a friend is this. Friends stick. Now Paul teaches this principle through a negative example. Look if you would at verse 15. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now we know nothing about Phygelus and Hermogenes other than their names and other that they were from the province of Asia, which today is a Roman, uh, well, back then it was a Roman province, which in, today is in modern Turkey. And we know this, they deserted Paul. Can you imagine your name being written in the word of God as a deserter of the great apostle Paul? Wow, what a bummer. <laughs> In chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. And these two guys were part of the group that deserted the Apostle Paul. And you know what Paul is saying by this? He's saying, Timothy, don't be a Hermogenes. Don't be a Phygelaeus. Implication, friends stick. Be a pastor, Timothy, who sticks. Be a friend who sticks. Don't run. And this is taught all through the Bible. You look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I think we can possess one of two extreme responses toward people when they go through a difficult time. Paul was going through a very difficult time. And the people he thought maybe were his friends weren't his friends because guess what? They split when the time got going tough. I think we, the two extremes we can have toward people when they're going through a tough time is this. We can stick or we can scram. And I wonder what kind of person we are. What kind of person am I? If you stick with people, even during their difficult times, you will be an amazing friend. If you scram, you will struggle being a friend. I've kind of found it amusing, you know, this back and forth between Donald Trump and Megyn Kelly of Fox News. I don't know if you're aware of any of that, but on January 28th, uh, Trump refused to attend a debate that Megyn Kelly was moderating. And the thing I was most impressed about with all the media coverage on this was Megyn Kelly's boss, Roger Isles. I don't know Roger Isles. I've never even seen a picture of Roger Isles. But he totally stood by her side. He said this, nope, she's our gal, Megyn Kelly. She's moderating the debate. If Donald Trump doesn't want to show up, he doesn't need to show up. That is a friend. To me, I'm just like, Lord, make me that kind of friend. When someone's being questioned, I stick with them. You and I. And Paul is saying this to Timothy. Be this kind of friend. Friends stick. And by the way, when everyone left Paul, we'll get to this later. We'll study it. It's beautiful because verse 17, verse 16 of chapter 4 says, Everyone deserted Paul. 
But then Paul says, but the Lord stood by my side. Isn't that beautiful? There's Jesus standing by Paul's side in a Roman jail cell when everyone had deserted him. And guess what? That's been Jesus for you your whole life. He's always been with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And he is our example of the type of friend we need to be to others. Amen? Friends stick. Let me give you a second characteristic, and it's this. Friends refresh. Now, as Paul gives us this update about his situation in jail when he's in Rome, he gives us then a positive example of a friend. And he points out this guy that I can't wait to meet, at, meet when I get to heaven, and you and I will meet him as well. His name is Onesiphorus. And listen to what Paul says about this positive friend. He says in verse 16, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. You know, I pray that if I lived back then, that I would have been an Onesiphorus to Paul. I just pray I would have been. It says in verse 17, on the contrary, when he was in, when, when, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me in prison where Paul was in jail. Now think about this. Onesiphorus lived in the first century. Okay, we're talking 60-something, 66 A.D. right now. And he lived in Ephesus, and as Forrest did, Paul was in Rome, which is 1,258 miles. And he made the trip, think about back then, it was either through land or through ship. This would have taken him weeks, if not months, to get there. He was unashamed of Paul being in prison. Everyone else left, Paul, uh, Onesiphorus went. Wow. He searched hard for Paul until he found Paul in prison. It wasn't easy to find Paul in prison. In a few weeks, I'm going to describe to you Paul's cell. One day, I hope to visit it. One day, I want to take us to Rome, and we're going to visit that cell. Nesiphorus also, on a number of occasions, it says there, he refreshed Paul. I love this. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Nesiphorus because he often refreshed me, often refreshed me. Isn't that just special? Who is a friend in your life that often refreshes you? They are worth gold. And this is who Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to become like Onesiphorus. As a pastor, as an individual, you're often refreshing. The word refresh literally means to cool again. That's what it means in the Greek. So Onesiphorus, he, he was a breath of fresh air. You know, I love fans. I'm into fans. I have a fan. I have a remote control fan above. I have a fan that's like on my dresser. I'm just into fans. I'm like a dog, man. Give you, you know, air. I just love it. But, you know, I'm, I'm hot all the time and that sort of thing, you know. And just, but what a beautiful picture. It's so, when you're hot, you know, and just to have a, turn on a fan, isn't that refreshing? And to have a friend, you know, when you see a, you know, all of us have people we know. And when you see someone walk the corner and come toward you, are you going, oh. Because I think we can have two extreme effects on people. We can either, like, they can be a fan and they're going to, like, you know, cool you down or make you refresh. Or they're just going to, like, suck the energy from you, you know. So what are we? Are we someone who's just refreshing people or do we drain people? we got to think about that as individuals. You know, one of my favorite books that I read in 2015 
was the Wright brothers. Um, I completely uh, would encourage you to read this book by David McCulloch. And it's the amazing story of Wilbur and Orville and, and how they created the first airplane and literally taught the world how to fly. But what I love most about the book, because I have boys, three boys, is I love, I mean, the challenge of creating an airplane and learning how to fly is so well documented in here. And the ups and downs are just so extreme in what Wilbur and Orville encountered. But what's so touching to me all the way through as I read the book is how many times Wilbur would refresh Orville when he was down. Or Orville would refresh Wilbur when he was down and just discouraged. I mean, they, threw, they, they just said this can't be done so many times and they were so discouraged. But the one brother was always there to refresh the other brother and they were inseparable. If you read about this book, these guys were absolutely inseparable. Two are better than one and that's why they, they literally created the miracle of flying, so to speak. It's an incredible book. Friends stick. Friends refresh. Let me give you a third thing that Paul talks about. It's this, friends help. Now, Onesiphorus not only searched for, found, and refreshed Paul while he was in jail in Rome, but when uh, Paul was in Ephesus years earlier, Onesiphorus helped Paul in multiple ways back then. I want you to notice what Paul said to Timothy about the friendship of Onesiphorus when Paul was out of jail and actually pastoring, living in Ephesus. Look, if you would, there at verse 18. He says, May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day, speaking of Onesiphorus. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You see that? You know how many ways. In other words, Onesiphorus was, watch this, always helping people. You know what the name Onesiphorus means? a bringer of profit. Isn't that an incredible name? A bringer of profit. Onesiphorus was always bringing profit to people. Friends help others out and bring profit to them through that help. It's so practical, but so powerful when we have a friend like that. Let me ask you, who's the friend in your life that's always bringing you profit, helping you, bringing you profit? They are worth gold again. And I suppose we can have two extreme effects on people. We can help them or we can hinder them. What kind of friend are we around others? If we're constantly helping people, what an incredible friend we're becoming. You know, I, I don't know. I just I look around here and I have to just bless you and just say thank you for being an Essephorus. I'm I'm so honored to pastor you. And I feel like in many ways, you know, you're just like the sheep who just come around me with your wool and you love on me. You're just so helpful. And I don't know, it's Tracy and I, you know, last Sunday we were away, and a little bit of vacation. We went to another church. This is one of the first times ever we were at home. We went to another church in the area. And we're like, what are we doing? I want to be, you know, we were fighting to drive to an, I need to go to other churches once in a while. Usually when I go to other churches, I preach there, or I'm over in Asia or somewhere around the world, I'm always preaching. It's seldom that I'm ever just not. And it was so hard to pull away from here because I love you so much. And I thank God for you. And truly, you guys are special friends. And there's a special church that God's given us. And you become like an Anessa for us. And I thank God for that. I want you to talk about someone 
uh, who's been this type of a friend to you at your tables? Can you give props to someone who has been a friend to you by sticking, refreshing, and helping you? Who is that person? Talk about that. All right, let me land the Wright Brothers airplane, so to speak, okay? You have a life coach. If this is your first time with us on a Sunday, thanks for being here. Paul is your life coach. You have a mentor. And all of his advice is in the book of 2 Timothy. We've just looking here this morning at the fourth piece of advice, which is three things. Three things that Paul's passing on to you this morning. Something that you need to keep, the Bible, as your pattern, your pattern this week as you go out, let everything you say, the tone, be within the pattern of God's word for your life. That's what we are called to keep. But then we're called to guard the Bible, all of the Bible. We're not called to, you know, cut and paste, but all 66 books, every single word. Let your life live out the word of God in its totality. Oh, that'll bring you so much joy, so much direction. We get into trouble and we start cutting and pasting the word of God. And finally, know, take all of us and know how to be a friend by sticking with people and refreshing people and helping people. Now, let me just share with you something amazing. Put the picture up here, Rob. This is a picture of an amazing family. Now, just look here and let me read this as you look at this. Judy Brown, right there, and her husband arrived at Beverly Hospital outside of Boston complaining of dear abdominal pain on November 7th. She left a few hours later just having delivered an eight-pound baby girl. The 47-year-old woman claimed she had no idea she had been pregnant until the hospital officials told her she was pregnant in the emergency room. Surprise! <laughs> so, Diane Dorn on your way home today? No, I'm just joking. Say, why do, you, why do you end with that, Mark? Because watch this. Here is your game changer challenge. Here it is. What if by applying the message that you heard today, these three things, an amazing surprise happens this week? Huh? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the fun that we can have. Thank you for the advice that you give. You've told us three things. Some of them we need to keep the Bible as our pattern for speaking. Well, we need to guard the Bible in its fullness. And something we need to know, how to be a good friend by sticking with and refreshing and helping others. Lord, give us your grace to apply this advice this week. And it would be special if a wonderful surprise is awaiting each person. Bless your people. Thank you for our time. And everyone said?